Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Hi, Simon here with a quick message before this week's episode. On February the 24th, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine in an unprovoked and unjustified attack. At the time I'm recording this message, I personally know people who are trying to survive in bomb shelters in Kiev and others who have taken up arms to defend their country. Here at the conference room, our thoughts and prayers are with our friends and colleagues in Ukraine and the whole of the Ukrainian people, but thoughts and prayers are not enough. As President Kennedy said in the name of Thomas Burke, all it takes for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing. So let's do something. In the show notes for this episode and for every episode of the conference room while the people of Ukraine are fighting for their country, we'll post links of how you can help, reputable organizations you can donate to that will help the Ukrainian people, and reliable sources of information about what's happening on the ground. As individuals, we may not be able to stand up to Putin ourselves, but let's all do something and not let this evil triumph on our watch. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined by Jeff Zygman. Now, Jeff has been a tech entrepreneur for 10 years, having been the CTO and director of software development for numerous tech companies. Right now, he's the CEO and was the creator of Skill Builder. That's a revolutionary and highly scalable software platform that incorporates the principles he's gained from over 20 years in martial arts into a remote learning system that has a higher absorption and better retention rate than conventional in-person learning. And I'm delighted that he's coming to talk to us here at the conference room about that learning system, but also how he has launched that business. Jeff, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Hi, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. So, Every hero has an origin story, and you're the hero of our story. So tell me, how does a 10-year tech entrepreneur go from being involved in technology to then setting up Skill Builder? I've actually done quite a number of learning experiences. That's how we classify failed startups. Every one of them is learning experiences where you learn what not to do quite a few times over and over again until you get it right. All you need is one success. And so I've been leading building software companies for about 10 years now. And at the start of COVID, I was actually hired for as a director of software development in a tech company. And at the same time I was working, had the idea, it came from something else. And then it veered into what Skill Builder is now of a learning platform. And after a little while into it, I realized that it could be applied to skill-based learning. And then all everything that I had learned from years of martial arts kind of came rushing into mind about how it could be applied and how it could condense learning in an effective way to the point where for a lot of years, I've seen how somebody could be struggling for an hour or two with learning something and take martial arts with certain movements. And then when you teach them a certain way, they could pick it up effectively and be able to do it properly within a span of a minute or two. 
And all that is based on how they're taught, how they receive the information, what they do, what they don't do, and getting them to take the right kind of action. So I basically have designed the software platform to include the mechanics that are needed in terms of interaction and in the learning experience so that people can actually pick up new skills very quickly. Okay. So do you find the way people learn will change from environment to environment? So for example, if you were to teach me a new skill in say sales, cold calling, closing, qualifying versus a, a skill in martial arts, okay, blocking, punching kicking whatever would th- would my way of learning cross all of those different skills or does there need to be a specific way of teaching specific skills to different people to the same person so i would argue that everybody learns the same way but people like receiving information in different ways Some people like to read, some people like to see or hear or whatever, but I would argue that the way that everyone learns is by doing, and you need to get people to do things in order for them to learn. Because if they just sit back and watch a video for two hours, they're not going to absorb very little, they're going to retain very little, and the chance of them actually being able to act on it afterwards is extremely small. And that's why most online learning that's not this is not effective. It's because you can have the the best instructor in the world with the best content in the world. But if the person who is receiving it has not learned how to learn, then they're not going to absorb it well. And you asked in terms of how it compares with different, like physical things like martial arts, for example, everything that is process oriented I would say is you can learn in a similar way. When it comes to things that are physical, like martial arts, for example, there's still a process to follow, a set of steps of how to do it right and mistakes to avoid doing wrong. The martial arts and anything physical just has the added component of the actual physical hands-on side, but there's still a methodology, a process behind how to do it right, which you still need to know. Anything physical, you then need the actual hands-on experience of actually doing it physically in order to get it right okay just kind of sum up the way that people learn most effectively is by doing rather than passive you know reading it watching it whatever right yeah so from your experience how does this translate into effective coaching and teaching of employees within a business the thing that everyone is struggling with under COVID, for example, particularly like large organizations and so on, is how to train employees effectively, right? Uh, especially if you have thousands of employees, how can you provide effective training to thousands of people in any sort of capacity? If you have somebody training in person, that would normally be an ideal way. You would teach them a certain how to do it and you would get them to take action ideally and then you would see the results and then you build on it and build on it and build on it and they improve a little by little. But if people are working remotely or if there's too many people or if you don't have enough tra- people training to do because you can only one human being can only train so many people effectively in person. So in this case, Skill Builder simulates like the expert instructor is there individually with every single person training them at their own pace one on one. So that allows it to actually scale out to whether it's 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 people. There's no limit to how many people it can teach, and it can teach them all as if it's one-on-one training. Right, okay. I'm keen to learn more about Skillville in in just a moment. But in terms of the philosophies that you've learned that led you to develop Skillville the way that you did, right? What did you find made effective learning? And what did you find that, if you like, made ineffective learning? What were the kind of key things that you identified that led you to the solution that is now skill builder. 
Got you. So you need to learn how the right steps of a process, how to do it right. And you need to understand why you're doing those steps, why those are right. And you need to understand the mistakes that people typically make that you're probably going to make. And you have to understand why those things are the wrong things to do. And if you can understand the right path to follow, and you could understand the mistakes at each step to avoid, then that allows you to steer on the right path. Because anytime somebody's learning a new skill of any kind, you're almost always going to run into make mistakes along the way. Right. And it usually takes months or years of making mistakes to learn how to do it right, because you start doing a certain mistake in the process and then you spend the next six months doing that mistake. But that mistake is actually preventing you from doing it right. So if you can learn how to avoid those mistakes and get on the right path from step one, then you can basically skip over that massive learning curve associated with a new skill. Right. No, it makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting you say that because I'm just thinking back to when I learned to drive. So I was obviously I was a teenager when I learned to drive and I always struggle with the reverse park. Okay. And I think driving actually is a really great example of what you said of a good driving instructor. And I had a great driving instructor. His name was Alan. And by the way, why is it the driving instructors only have first names? Anyway, Alan taught me how to drive. And he was great. He would kind of explain what needed to be done. Then he would, I think he may have shown me, I don't recall, but most of my driving lessons, well, I was in the driver's seat. I was driving the car, right? But I always had a problem with reverse parking. And it's a miracle that I passed my test because I just happened to have like a super easy one. Like the two cars parked parallel were like way far apart. And, you know, I think even a blind guy with one arm could have done it, right? So it's a miracle I passed my test. Anyway, years later... I always struggled with reverse parking and I just couldn't do it. And this was obviously before the days of YouTube. I seem to recall like trying to like get some VHS tape of like, you know, improving your driving that you could get by calling the Royal Society of the Prevention of Accidents back in the UK. And I remember watching it and it just didn't do anything for me. Right. And then I remember my parents hosted a dinner party and my parents have friends and my mom's friend happened to be a driving instructor. And I happened to say, oh, I've got this problem with reverse parking. So she said, well, do you want me to give you a lesson on it? And I'm like, I've been driving like for 15 years. And she goes, no, no, it's fine. No problem. So sure enough, the following week, whenever she turns up and we had a lesson devoted to her. And since then, my reverse parking has been great, you know, but it's so interesting what you say about it must have been 15 years that I couldn't reverse park. And then just by nature of the fact that someone actually showed me what to do and isolated this core problem and then had me actually do it under supervision, I learned how to reverse park. So what she did is she showed you the specific technique yeah. of what to do at that point. The interesting thing about technique, any skill that we learn, like there's a natural, there's an innate natural component and there's a technique component. So everything's made up of those. So let's say the best athletes in the world, they're typically people who are innately good at the thing. And they've also spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time perfecting and refining their technique. And when you have those two things coming together, you get the top performers of anything in the world, right? Mm. But if you're not innately good at something, you can't become innately good at it. But technique makes up for an extremely high portion of execution properly. So, and anyone can learn technique if it's clear enough, right? If, if it's not ambiguous, if it's clear enough of what to do, how to do it, when to do it, then anyone could learn it. And if you learn the exact steps to follow, you can actually get really, really, really good, even if you're not innately good at something. So what she did, she was able to pinpoint the part of the technique that you were missing or doing incorrectly, fill in the gaps, have you do it. And then it made it so that it was easy for you. And then you were able to do it from that point on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I recall, it must have been like an hour or two's lesson, but I recall that once she'd kind of shown him what to do and I did it, she literally broke down, right, you need to start with the car pointing in this direction, you need to be that far apart from the car you're parallel to, mm -hmm. literally compartmentalizing and, if this is a word, componentizing yep. it, right? So that every point I knew where the car needed to be in relation to everything around, and I then needed to do to get to the next bit, the next bit, the next bit. And if you think about it, reverse parking is, is quite a complex thing because there are a number of things you have to do in sequence and each one of them you got to do right. Otherwise, the car's too close to the curb, too far away, too close to the car, too, you know, so... If you don't do all these bits right in the right order, you're not going to get it right. And I yeah. think that you're right. What, what she did was break it down and isolate each element and have me, I wouldn't necessarily say perfect, but get right each element and get confident that I was doing each element right. So that several times with her that I was practicing, I was confident that I was doing it right. And then I could practice it again without her there and, and that being addressed. So to your mind then, how different is learning a new skill being better in an existing one? So they're different. When you're doing a new skill, you're you're doing something that you typically have no knowledge about any part of the process, right? So if you're learning a new skill, but you're learning it from someone who has already mastered it and they're showing you how to do it and they show you what to do and they show you what not to do, you can actually pick it up really quickly. And you're starting from a point where you haven't developed any of the mistakes, the flaws in the process, right? actually the whole thing about skill builder is learning it right the first time right and you can actually pick something up extremely fast like that if you're learning a new skill without the help the direction of someone then you're in for a very long and arduous process of doing it when it comes to perfecting a skill i'd say that it depends on someone who's a master at it who's still helping you or if you're figuring it out on your own to figure it out on your own depends on how far along in the mastery process you are. If you're a little bit along the way, then it's extremely difficult to self-correct yourself. If you're very far along the way, then you get to a point where you can kind of feel when your technique is off. So if you're doing a punch or a kick or something like that, even if you're not doing it right, if you've done it enough times and you can feel that your body, for example, is out of alignment when you did it, you just did it. You just did that punch badly, but you can feel you did it badly because you can feel that your shoulder or your elbow or your body was out of alignment. So you can self-correct yourself if you're at that point. But if, so it really depends how far along in the mastery uh, process you are on what whatever skill set that is. And it also depends on if you have a teacher, a master, a coach, whatever you want to call there to help pinpoint the mistakes you're making. My Sifu is my master's in martial arts said, when you're perfecting something, you're not adding to it. You're taking away the negative. So you're like kind of, you're chiseling it and making it more well-defined as opposed to adding to it. Wow, I love that. That's really cool. So I'm curious though, let's talk a little bit about online learning in, in general. And then I really want to kind of dig into, into skills. But the thing that I'm curious about is that one of the failings that I see, and I'm keen to hear from you what failings you see as well. But one of the things that I see in a lot of online learning platforms is in certain areas, you need to have immediate feedback. So for example, my child too, recently for his birthday, he got a ukulele. Thank God it wasn't a set of drums. He got a ukulele. And I think Brian May has a website, I think, where he teaches people guitar and like various guitar types, right? And so Child 2 is using that to learn the ukulele. Now, it's quite easy when you're trying to play a tune, if you've got, unless you're tone deaf, when you're playing the ukulele or any instrument, you immediately know if you got it wrong because it doesn't sound right. 
Okay, if you are trying to draw Mickey Mouse and you're trying to copy a child, he is an artist and a cartoonist. So if he wants to draw something, he'll go on a YouTube channel and learn. Someone says, here's how you draw Mickey Mouse, Thor, Donald Duck, whatever. He'll draw it out. You can immediately see if you haven't got it right. I'm curious, though, if someone's learning a skill like martial arts, sports, striking a golf ball, a baseball, kicking a football, throwing a football, right? If you're using distance learning or virtual learning, how can you get the immediate feedback to determine what's gone wrong? I'm just thinking like a golf swing. It's like, is it 17 different things you've got to do right for the perfect golf swing? Right. So how would someone using distance learning be able to get that effective feedback of, right, here's what I got wrong? So to a degree, I would say with the way that you phrase the question, to a degree, I would say you can't. Okay. But if you approach it from a different way, if you, you approach it less of how do you get the feedback about what you've done wrong, then you can't because there's no one there other than seeing that it's not working properly. You have no way of determining that. Right. You just know there's something wrong and it's not working. And depending on how many times you're trying it without it working, you're just getting really frustrated because it's not right. working. But if you learn what the wrong things to do are, the mistakes, and then you see while you're trying to do it, oh, wait, I'm doing that thing. Then you've been able to identify, oh, that's why it's not working. And you might not yet know what to do right, but at least if you understand the mistakes that people make and you see, oh, I'm making that mistake, then you at least know what the problem is. And hopefully if you have direction, you can learn and understand what the right thing to do is. And then obviously if it's a physical thing, you actually, you obviously need to practice that. Physical things are a lot more difficult because you need your mind to work in conjunction with your body, as opposed to things that are only a methodology where you just need to follow the process, the methodology. Right. Okay. So we talked a little earlier about a key to learning is being active rather than being passive, you know, doing rather than just like listening or reading or watching. Yeah. So what other factors do you think contribute towards learning having a higher absorption and retention rate? You mean what contributes to making a learning experience that has a yeah. higher retention? Yeah. What do you think, as in, we've all had good teachers and bad teachers, okay? At school, at college, and in professional development, right? From your experience, what you've seen separates a good learning experience where you're getting the outcomes of absorption and retention versus the ones that lack that. What do you see as the key differentiators? So it's actually the school system. And I've been, I was in school till I was 23. So I did engineering. I was in school till I was 23. So I fully got the school experience scenario and I got the real life scenario and I got it to an extreme of a start of being in startups where you have to be hands-on with at any given time. I was taking six technical roles, doing them all myself and running a software company in addition to other things. So I got kind of both worlds to see. And it's a problem with the education system is I think that for a several year degree, you can realistically if get that equivalent level of experience in a couple of months if it's done differently. And if you're in a classroom with 100 people or 50 people or 30 people, unless the teacher or whoever is actively getting you to do certain things as you're learning it, you're going to absorb a very small amount of the information. I remember when I was in my engineering degree, the learning took place after when I had to spend hours and hours and hours in front of staring at textbooks 
trying to figure out something for an assignment. I'd have 20 hour long assignments to do every single week for certain programming classes that I had to do. And I learned because I had to just stare at it and try to figure things out. And I remember at one point I had my parents' basement entirely littered with papers from doing practice problems over and over and over and over and over again for 10 hours, 12 hours straight. And that's how you learn how to do it. It's very hard to do that in a class setting because the teacher can't make sure that everyone is actively doing that and not tuning out and doing other things. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. So from your point of view, it's basically doing and repeating and refining. Repetition, 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 repetition. Right. Okay. So I do want to come back to talking about this and I want to talk about skill base in just a second, but I'm keen also to understand how you got from coming up with this idea. You know, you said earlier that this is something you started, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. So how you got from conceiving an idea based off all of the wealth experience you had, you know, from martial arts and, and, and other things to actually launching a successful company. So talk me through the steps from, you know what, I've had this idea through to where we are now, where, you know, you've got several hundred B2B organizations on the platform. And I've seen that it's, it's really growing and we're still early stages, but you know, it's growing and it's doing really well. So how did you get from inception to being in a position where the company is really starting to scale? How did I go from the idea to just yeah, actually from creating ideation it? So, to ideation, okay. creation, launch, scale? Huh? So through that process. So I'm at a bit of an advantage there, I guess, because I've already built tech companies, led them from the ground up and everything. So I have done all parts of the software cycle. So like the idea comes to mind. I'm like, oh, that'll be interesting. So I can immediately, and I did immediately just go to my computer, start putting together business requirements, a bit of business analyst for 10 years to gather all the requirements of what would be needed. And then I can right away go into designing it. So I can take something that might normally take six to eight or six to 12 months to go from idea to finding the people to do it to trying to map it out everything and then i can get that a first version built in two weeks for example so it's a bit of i guess an unfair advantage there compared to what most people might have to go through but i did that i used linkedin with linkedin automation to connect with people in the target audience uh, the first target audience i was reaching out to is i figured that people who are best-selling authors probably have an expertise that they've taught to other people so i was searching linkedin for best-selling authors and then when i found that that wasn't the best target market for what i was looking for then i went to trainers and then when i was doing trainers i happened upon a police trainer and then we ended up creating a police training and then i ended up on another police trainer a while after and so, meant- so, sorry so this stage did you have like a minimum viable product that you had developed where you were looking for people to put their training onto the platform so you had the platform that you'd built you determined there was a market need for it and then you were looking for people to put their training on that where were we up to in this step of the process when you were reaching out to people on linkedin what had you already done So I was kind of doing things in tandem. So what I had already done is because I was able to start building right away and because I was able to leverage LinkedIn automation to reach out to people so that I didn't have to spend my own time doing that part of the process, I was able to kind of do two things simultaneously, the business development and the tech side. In most cases, you would not want to do that. You would want to really determine a market need and then only start building something once you've found that there's a need. 
you know, I have this business development and thing that's going on for me and there's not much more I could do with my time other than, okay, I guess I'll just start building a product as I see needed to do it. So that's kind of why I did. So I had to always do the business development side and the tech development in tandem. And I had to pivot numerous times when I realized, okay, maybe it will be more applicable in this way. And I had the added advantage where I can build things very quickly. So as soon as an idea comes to mind and I feel like this is a good way of doing it or a good approach or the need here while doing the business development, I can still do the tech development. Right. Okay. And I guess at the same time, if you determined that the market need wasn't quite what you expected, like you were saying, it was more less about best-selling authors, more about coaches or something else that you could modify, certainly modify the business development approach, but also maybe modify the actual technical approach as well, if necessary. Yeah, exactly. And because I can do things very fast, I knew that I would be able to pivot it and adjust it very quickly based on the needs. But what I did know is that there's a natural human need and desire to learn. And people are always struggling with how to learn. And most people don't know how to learn. So I knew that there was a need because it's a very core part of humans, this aspect. And it was really just a matter of trying to find the best niche for the right approach and then adjust as needed accordingly. Right. Okay. That's cool. So tell me, having taken all of this experience in the world of learning and predominantly within martial arts and then determining what the need was, tell me why you believe that Skill Builder is the right way for organizations to have their people learn new skills. I would answer that with the question, how else are you going to scale effective training that can teach your people in a way that you want them to be taught where you're going to get good results? And if the answer to that is that you don't have an answer to that, you have an answer there, right? I've been able to approve how a bunch of many, many, many people going through it and I've gotten people go through it. They're so excited by it that you know how hard it is to get people to go on camera and give a video endorsement or testimonial a lot of the time. It's not easy. And I've had no problem getting people to do it because of how exciting they find the learning mechanism and how, I guess, how big of a game changer it is in online learning. So yeah, I think that it's just a matter if they know there's a problem in their company and they know that they can't solve it, I don't even have to sell anyone on it. It's just like, do you have a problem that you can't solve? Here are people who back up an evidence to back up that this can actually work so can solve it. And if I'm not a salesperson <laughs> and I'm an engineer in business, right? So <laughs> I like solving problems. I don't like selling people on things that they don't need. Right now, for sure. Absolutely. Good for you. So you said that people are eager to come on and give testimonials. What are the key things that they're saying well, you know what's making them excited how are they selling the product so even in testimonials i think it's a key thing to ask the right questions so the way i start every one of them is just like honestly just be honest say what you actually think but it's a key thing to ask the right questions to try to elicit the responses that make sense within the context of what you're trying to say so i ask them How did you think about this particular training overall? How did you feel about the step-by-step learning process? How did you feel about how it highlights the mistakes people commonly make? Basically things that bring out the uniqueness aspects that really gets them thinking about it and talking about it in a way that seems to, from all the ones I got, get them happy and excited about the results of what they went through. That's great. So Jeff, what's next for you and for SkillBuilder? So right now, the most current thing that I've 
created. I've partnered with someone from the Department of Homeland Security who, as a trainer, in, he's taught more than 5,000 people active shooter response preparation. So we partnered together to create a skill builder training for active shooter preparation. And it's the only one of its kind that can scale out effectively to large organizations. Other than skill builder, you have basically online trainings that PowerPoints, people don't learn from long videos. People are looking at their phone by a minute into it. They don't really take anything away from that. And in-person training is both very expensive and you can't scale it out. There's no way to provide in-person training to an organization of 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 people. It's just not possible. So as far as I know, and anyone has told me so far, it's the only way that you can scale active shooter preparation training to large organizations. And it can be done in days because of the mechanism. So that one is already live, got a bunch of reviews, people saying it's the best active shooter training, active shooter response training they've ever had, gets the person, each individual to really think through in a methodical way, how to prepare in advance your work environment, how to think things through logically, and then also how to try to think as logically as possible in the event if there's an active shooter happening. So there's that, and that's that one's looking very promising. Everyone who sees it gets and goes through it. We have a whole bunch of affiliate salespeople who are promoting it to the people that they know in large companies. And then there's another aspect, which is that I can go into any large organization, analyze their internal processes to see which ones are costing them the most money. Typically, we have a lot of low and medium performers. It's because A, it's costing the company a lot of money in most cases, if somebody's making a lot of mistakes in any process in the company. And by determining which processes those are and extracting the technique of their top performer, so to speak, turning it into a skill builder training, we can actually teach the technique, roll it out at scale to all of the employees and improve the technique of every low and medium performer. So if you have a large company and imagine you're turning all the low and medium performers into good performers, what would that do for a company? So that's kind of the other side of what I'm doing at the moment. That's great. If people wanted to benefit from any of the courses or reach out to you, how can they best do that? They can go to skillbuilder.academy. They can always reach out. There's a contact option there. If they would like to check out the active shooter preparation training, then they can go to remoteactiveshooterpreparation.com. And if you want, we could set up a promo code after something for you. They could give them access at a discount there. It is really more for larger organizations compared to individuals, but individuals want to try it. They can do that as well. When you say larger organizations, organizations of what kind of size? So this is an extreme example, but one of the salespeople I'm working with, he has a background in law enforcement and high-end private security. So he has a bunch of connections. He actually, last Friday, we had a meeting with a VP of risk in a company with 800,000 employees. Wow. Uh, massive, but I wouldn't say that size typically. Anything 500 or 1,000 employees and more is, there's no other good effective way of releasing it to all your employees. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, I'll make sure that we put all the links there um, and the promo code in the show notes. Jeff Zygman, thank you so much for coming into the conference room. Talking about learning is a real passion of mine. I really, really enjoyed talking to you about it and also understanding your journey that I came from back in the college days all the way through and incorporating your uh, martial arts into uh, bringing skill builders to life. So Jeff Zygman, thank you so much for coming into thanks. the conference room. Thanks for having me. Coming up next week on the conference room, I'll be talking to business automation specialist, Jackie Money. They are finding that they don't have enough time. And what automation can solve is to give them their time back, right? They're working all the time. 
They're doing a lot of things manually, which they don't need to do. And they are not figuring out how to automate a process. And so that is when we step in and say, there is another way. You don't need to be doing everything yourself. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to The Conference Room. Until next time, keep talking.